Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm Brian Moran, and today I want to welcome Monica Elling to our show. Monica is the CEO of Foundations Marketing Group, a Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business alum and author of Wine 123, A Millennial Guide to Wine. Welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Monica Elling. So nice to be here, Brian. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I'm a big fan of yours. I love uh, just everything that you've taught me about wine and, you know, enjoying it and buying it and all of that. So I think if it's, you know, my listeners being a natural extension of myself, I think they're going to love it too. We sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now I know you've been in the wine industry for a while, wine business for a while. Um, I, 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 the first question I have is, how did you get started? I think like many people in the wine industry, you don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be in the sector. Uh, most people don't even fully uh, comprehend what that means and how many different types of roles there are. Uh, my personal journey started with marketing, um, traditional marketing and advertising on Madison Avenue uh, in New York and really evolved from there into international trade and investment promotion. And with that, I found myself running into people who were movers and shakers in the wine world. And lo and behold, some years later, I woke up uh, smack in the middle of it all. So how interesting. It's uh, definitely a global field by its very nature. Wine is one of the earliest products that was traded uh, among the routes uh, of Europe back thousands of years ago and all over the world, in fact. Mm -hmm. I, I think I told you this, but I'm, I'm not sure my listeners know it. They, they, my listeners think my career started in publishing magazines, uh, you know, way back when. My first job out of college was with Ernest and Julio Gallo. Did I tell you that? Did you know that about me? You did not share this information. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to stomp grapes. Uh, that's a noble <laughs> job. Me and Lucille Ball, for those of you who are old enough to remember that show. Uh, no, I actually, I sold wine in Northern California for, um, I think, about two, two and a half years. And I loved it. I loved everything about the wine business, and I, I learned so much about it. But, you know, what's interesting, uh, Monica, and this is probably won't come to a surprise, as, uh, be a surprise to many people, but the wine business is, is kind of a, a heavily male-dominated industry, isn't it? Yes, uh, and still very much so today. Uh, and, and that's everywhere you turn in the business. So uh, it, domestically, internationally, on the producer side, on the uh, distribution side, import side, retail side, it just is uh, really dominated uh, by men. Uh, although women are of late making some inroads, most of the attention for women has been on the some sommelier or uh, winemaker side. And those mm -hmm. uh, women that are leading the charge there are getting attention. I think uh, 
from from where I sit on the commercial side, I find the wholesale and import side, really where the trading occurs, where the big figures are, um, much more challenging for women to break through into top levels of management because these major companies also are owned by men and mm-hmm. families that you know really uh, kept it in their hands for generations. So, so you you said to yourself, "Let me find the most difficult part of the wine business and start there." Well, it it was an evolution. Okay. <laughs> um, and I can't resist a challenge, and uh, so <laughs> that, that that just seems to be the theme. Uh, I I do believe that women have a seat at the table of commerce in the wine industry. And uh, I'm definitely leading that charge on our end and uh, making inroads into import and ultimately wholesale. Yeah. And, and that's th- this is a theme, actually, one of many themes on the Small Business Edge podcast is uh, I recognize um, whether it's uh, minorities or women or people who are in, uh, you know, the underdog in in particular industries, and I love to one recognize them, two celebrate them, three support them. Uh, and you are certainly, you know, somebody who is worth recognizing, celebrating, and supporting for your efforts in the wine business. Um, so I want to ask you now, so you're in the wine business and you're, you're making headway, uh, in, in your end of the, the business and then right in the smack in the middle of it, because you're not busy enough, you write a book, uh, wine, one, two, three, a millennial guide to wine. What was the premise behind the writing of it? Well, a frustration on some levels <laughs> and just working with, uh, people in the industry, so from the trade side, where you go into a restaurant like you would any weekend yourself, and you sit down and you have a nice meal, and you have wait staff that comes to the table and talks about uh, the dinner specials and and hopefully about some of the wines uh, as well. But what what I found um, as we were rolling product into uh, restaurants, the waitstaff had a super hard time understanding the differences and the nuances, and and yet they had to be trained in order to be able to service uh, the customers and also to do a good job on the inventory that they had and the product that we were putting into place. And so I started to do quite a bit of uh, on staff, wait staff training. And as I did that, I started to zone in on the important, the salient elements of what they needed to walk away with, you know, mm-hmm. things that they could own and communicate forward, true knowledge as opposed to volumes and volumes of information that they're never going to retain or use. And so that's how the initial thought came about, because what's in that book is information that I used to train people. So is this an industry book? Is it for uh, for millennials who are in the hospitality industry to get a better understanding of wine? Or is it an end user book for millennials to enjoy wine? 
because I have a follow-up question to that, which I can ask now. You, you can answer it after that one. But, you know, I, I remember reading in, in advance of our conversation today about how um, the figures of millennials and wine consumption is kind of off, right? It's not what, mm-hmm. what market initially or predicted uh, from millennials and wine consumption. Is that accurate? Yes, that is accurate. And I will circle back to that. Uh, But to answer the first part of your question as to who the target is, the target is anyone who wants to understand wine quickly, simply, and intuitively. And that was my goal in pulling together complex information and drilling it down into a simple, systematic, intuitive way of learning because who wants to sit there with a 300 page book and pontificate you want to take you want to have takeaways that you can use when you go and pick up a bottle of wine at your nearest store or when you're sitting there uh, with business colleagues and all of a sudden the wine list lands on your lap and there has to be a decisive power move so I wanted to streamline information and make it uh, really accessible to anyone in quick, shortcut ways. So the book is a 90-minute or less read. You never have to read all the chapters if you're super lazy. You can just read the bullet points at the end of each chapter, and you will walk away with a different appreciation for why you like the wines you like, why you're paying the prices you're paying, and where your preferences sit next time you want to purchase a bottle of wine. Wow, that's fantastic. And, and it really is. I'm going to get this for my kids. Uh, three of my kids are of legal drinking age, so the fourth one will have to wait a couple of years. <laughs> but All right, so real quick, for anybody who's listening right now, says, okay, Wine123, A Millennial Guide to Wine. I want to pick it up. Where can they get it? What's the website address? It's winewith.com. M-E, so winewith.me, and it, and it's also available on Amazon. Okay, fantastic. So so let's talk a little bit more about the uh, book, and then I want to get back into um, some of the things that you talked about, like you know, um, going out to dinner with clients and talking about wine, or maybe even gift giving, you know, wine during the holidays. Um, so the book, uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a red wine drinker. My wife loves white wine, but I pretty much know I've been drinking wine for a long time. I think <laughs> much longer than people probably realize. But um, you know, I know I'm. A, I like medium to full body reds. I like uh, sometimes I like an earthy red, like unfiltered wine. Right. So so, but if I'm new to wine. Um, tell me how I decide whether I'm red or white or rosé or, you know, what, what, what's the path that you would tell somebody, here's how you can get an appreciation for wine and decide which types of wines you like. The typical, uh, early tasting point tends to be on a slightly sweeter, fruitier side of wine. So as an early stage drinker, uh, when you're starting out, you're going to look for light bodied, light colored wine. And that means for the most part, most people's journey begins at the white table wine. 
So mm-hmm. we're talking fruity, that could be a Riesling, that could be anything fresh, bright, and aromatic. And in my system, I have a weight of wine, which would be a light-bodied wine is a one, medium-bodied is a two, heavy is a three. And as you gain confidence and experience in tasting different types of wines, the immediate association is, does this feel like a heavy wine in in my mouth or is this uh, super light and and fresh Mm -hmm. and crisp? And as you start to pay attention to the types of flavors you enjoy, you can start to look at wineless and in the stores also the fresh, fruity uh, types of uh, varieties that are appealing to an early stage drinker. As time goes on, you tend to experiment more with some of the higher uh, alcohol, bigger bodied, fuller bodied wines, and you will find your own set point for that because you will taste something and just say, no, that's really not for me, and resist it and go back to the category of the weight of wine that you really enjoy. And there's a whole world in all of these uh, categories out there. So you can find light-bodied, fresh, aromatic white wines from Italy to Australia to South Africa, all in the same type of weight of wine that is pleasing and appealing to you. And that still allows you a great deal of exploration of flavor. You know, it, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about the disconnect between millennials and wine. And boy, what an opportunity it would be to start some kind of tasting club, you know, where you invite, if you're a business owner, right, for my listeners out there, listen to us, it doesn't matter what you do, maybe have once a month, have a wine tasting event, uh, either in your store or in your offices, Right, where you can invite some of your customers and your prospects and your employees and maybe sample some wine. Say, you know, this week we're going to be, you know, this month we're going to try whites. Next month we'll try reds. We'll learn the difference between Merlots and Petit Syrahs. It's a wonderful social experience, uh, but it's also a very good business experience because you will find yourself inevitably in business settings where those decisions about wine uh, do matter. As a woman, and let's just pretend for a second I'm on the consumer side. So as Mm -hmm. a woman in business, going out with uh, potential clients or entertaining on a business level, I might sit at the table, but the sommelier very often will hand the wine list to the man sitting on my left or right. Wow. And I'm, wow. I'm very often the, the absolute last person they would consider handing a list to. Um, and so that is a little bit of a moment for me still when it occurs. Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes, of course, my colleagues that I'm out to eat with would know that I should probably take a look at the wine list. <laughs> yeah, I put my hands behind my the back of my head. Give it to her. And then the sommelier looks uh, looks and and uh, does a double take that now I'm taking ownership of the wine list. So um, I think whoever decides to order the wine 
there is a moment of attention, both from the sommelier as well as from the people at the table. And it doesn't have to be a difficult journey. Uh, it does, though, depend on some basic fundamental wine knowledge to give you the confidence to pick with ease or to ask the sommelier the right questions in order to make that discovery easy and, and fun for everyone involved. And so wine one, two, three is going to help me be able to feel confident ordering wine at a restaurant? Yes, because it's going to teach you why you like the wines you like. It'll contextualize mm -hmm. all of that. And also there, there is something about uh, when we discuss pricing, uh, there, some people say, well, it really doesn't matter what price a good wine can be. It can be at $10, it can be at $50 and anything in between. And of course, north of that. Um, there are certain rules about wine uh, pricing and why a wine will cost what it does. And in my book, I go into that, uh, whether it's oak treatment or time of aging or whatever has been done to the wine prior to its release. And a lot of that will create a cost factor. So when you're looking on a wine list and you have in mind a budget that you'd like to keep to, it's much easier to say to the sommelier, I'd like a mid-weight red wine that has uh, smooth tannins uh, that basically is between $79.99 and $100. And now you've given very clear instruction mm. or you're able to ask the question, what do you have in that price range that fits this parameter? And you talked about earlier when you t when you mentioned the types of red wines that you enjoy, um, and that also goes back to: is it old world preference for you? Do you find yourself picking up European wines all the time? Is that your guiding point, or are you picking up Australian, American? You know, so it it does matter when you pay attention to your own preferences and it allows you to develop a very clear direction as to the style of wines that you enjoy. Yeah. And, and, and again, I've been drinking wines for decades, so I know what my preferences are, but what's interesting is, and I have a great relationship with my local uh, wine retailer in my town Um you know, he we, he has tastings uh, two or three times a month on Saturdays, and he'll always call us up and say, hey, I've got some good reds in here. I think you might like them. And he'll always tell us, this is what you should be looking for in, in you know, when you drink it. This is what the, it's going to smell like. This is what it's going to taste like. And this is what makes it a good wine. And I always feel better, like, when I buy it, that I'm an, now I'm an educated consumer of the wine. And, you know, one thing that I got past a long time ago is asking questions when I go out, you know, at, at dinner. Um, I, you know, there, there's this kind of, um, it's almost like that imposter syndrome. You know, everybody knows I like wine, but I'm not nearly as knowledgeable, not even close to the level that you are. So when I go out, you know, I, I have no pretenses. I'll say, you know, tell me more about these wines. You know, I'm, I'm interested in them, but I don't know anything about them. I mean, my, my go-to wines are California cabs, right? That's the kind of the the ones I always come back to. But I'll reach out to Italian. I do like uh, Bordeaux's, 
And but I'll try other reds. I'll try you know Argentinian or Chilean reds, and I'll say I I really don't know a whole lot about them, but I'm interested. So tell me what it would taste like. That, those are great questions, and that's part of having actual wine confidence to ask the question. And yeah. uh, but it does help to know certain key things. And uh, as an example, I was in a situation where someone commented that they absolutely love Pinot Noir and they would really love to have one. And when I had the Somme ring over uh, Burgundy, they rejected it because they didn't realize that a red Burgundy is a Pinot Noir. Right. So the knowledge, uh, tiny bits of knowledge that I've really harnessed in this book are able to open your your mind, your palate, and the whole world for really experimenting because at the end of the, the at the end of the day, wine is about having fun and enjoying the process of tasting. I, I've been in situations where we've we've had a wine tasting, there are a thousand people, 800 wines, and some people would just say, no, I'm only tasting this because I know I'll like that. I won't like this. And and the whole point of any kind of a tasting setting is taste as much as you possibly can. Have a right. spit it out, do it almost in a professional way, just so you get a sense of what flavors are out there in the world. That's yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, okay, so real quick for our listeners, uh, once again, you can get Wine 123, A Millennial Guide to Wine, which it sounds like would be good for any generation if you're just starting out in wine, right? Yes, or even if you're a seasoned um, a drinker, because there are bits of knowledge in there that uh, will make sense of why you've enjoyed the wines you've enjoyed for years, but you did not know before. Okay. So, and I can get uh, wine one, two, three at www.winewith.me, winewith.me. Um, okay. And, and I love all of this because I am a big fan of wine. I, I, I like scotch. I like wine. I like beer. So that those are my three go-tos and they're not vices, they're enjoyments. So, but let me talk to you about something that does come up quite a bit in, in our social circles. And that is wine pairing. Um, so I go out a lot. I entertain for business and, um, you know, it's always white with fish and red with meat. And the fact is, I have to tell you, I don't like white wine. I've never really been a fan of it. I just, but I love red wine. So I will have red wine with anything. <laughs> so how, how I mean, how real is this wine, whole wine pairing, you know, options and, and can it be simplified? Yes, of course. Uh, I, I think a lot is being made out of it uh, because in certain types of wines, you will have uh, extracted tannins where food will smooth out and really make the wine more enjoyable. Uh, in, in the world, in most parts of the world, as wine developed, it had to do with the local food. And the wine was a complement to that food. But if we really think about it in simplistic terms, 
a number one rule, enjoy what you enjoy, period. That's number one, because that is your enjoyment and that's all that matters. Number two is to think about it as in lightweight wine pairs with lightweight food. And if you want to be that simple, that's an easy rule of thumb. And as you increase the color and the weight of the food, the meal that you're having, it can then readily be matched with a wine that's going to hold up to it. The ultimate experience is essentially two plus two equals five. So it Mm -hmm. should be better together than individual parts uh, separately. And the fullest experience is when you find that kind of um, match that is going to make the wine seem fantastic and make the food seem incredible. Yeah, I like that. Two plus two is five. I totally get that. So, all right, now I'm going to ask you a personal question. So if I'm ordering fish, um, mahi, mahi, uh, uh, salmon or shrimp. Can I have a Pinot or a Merlot with that as opposed to a white wine? Absolutely. And, there, and okay. there are a lot of other choices too. Again, what you're describing is a light bodied red wine, any light bodied right. red wine from Italy, from South Africa, a blend of a light bodied red can do really well. Uh, some fish uh, would do better with, even more tannins uh, than some of these uh, light-bodied reds would give. It just mm-hmm. depends on uh, the oiliness of the of the fish that you're having. That's interesting. Okay, and, and I love all of that. So this has been great so far. Uh, very, very helpful. Um, and I'm thinking in terms of my listeners who are. Uh, you know, who, who entertain like me, and they're probably writing notes down like me. Um, let's talk real quick about just the gift-giving element of wine in business, like around the holidays. What, what are the yeses and nos of it? You know, I, I love to, I, I know that, you know, my friends who, who like wine, I know them and I know their preferences, and they'll always get wine from me. But just as a rule of thumb, if you don't, know what kind of wine they drink it's probably i mean it's hard right to get them something that they want i think this goes beyond wine um this is with any type of gift giving just giving a gift to anyone requires some thought now on a corporate Mm -hmm. level you will see uh gifting that has some thought to it others where not much thought is being given other than it's a it's it's something that will connect the person with our brand as a company so there are different types of giving and you do have to keep that in mind certainly budgets matter um my my direction for anything like that would be to find a a white and a red that uh really over deliver on price. So in other words, have a reasonable price point, whatever the budget is, but um, is almost like viewed as a best buy. And that means that uh, from a rating standpoint um, or the write-up about the product is such where it is not just at that price point, but it really is a lot of value beyond the price itself. Fantastic. 
All right, we're in the home stretch. So I, I want to get back to uh, you and your company and things that are going on with you because you are a great success story. You know, a uh, woman entrepreneur in a, a largely male dominated business, certainly at the um, entry point that you are taking into this business. So tell us a little bit about what's next for your company and um, some of the lessons that you've learned as a woman in a male dominated industry. I would say that um, many women in male-dominated industries face uh, some of the challenges that I faced, uh, and part of it is um, being held back uh, at times. But also, I've I've had wonderful um, men who have been huge uh, mentors and advocates. So it is it is not a blanket statement, uh, but mm-hmm. just in general, um, for me. I think we're looking at the way that this industry is functioning or dysfunctioning. It is a legacy industry in the modern era. And uh, there are a lot of elements um, behind the consumer view that need to function better. Um, And some of those uh, elements we're looking to address in our next project uh, for which we've undertaken a capital raise that's already in process. So that's a whole that's a whole separate conversation right yeah. there. That one, capital raise and and new company. Okay, quick question. Uh, you're based in New York City, right? Uh, Foundations Marketing Group, in New York City. Are you still doing the the um, workshops, the wine uh, workshops, and? With companies, yes. Uh, so uh, we still do uh, corporate events, uh, private events. I speak at conferences regularly, and actually will be speaking at the American Wine Society event coming up this fall, um, which is a consumer uh, event. And I love doing that because at the end of the day, I'm extremely passionate about this subject, and people yeah. are fascinated. And I love it when there is a switched on moment where the light bulb goes off and there's an understanding of something fundamental that changes how they perceive and enjoy wine. Well, I've seen you in action and I would say to anybody listening, um, you know, this is such a great idea, you know, a wine event, wine tasting with Monica. Uh, she is fantastic. Uh, go get her book, Wine One, Two, Three, A Guide. Uh, a millennial guide to wine and uh, and check out her website and see if you can get her for a, a wine workshop for your company. I think it would be a big hit. So that's my personal plug there because I, I do de- tremendously have tremendous respect for you and your knowledge of wine and all that you're doing in the wine industry and for other women business owners. So here's what I'm going to do. It's we're, we've come to the witching hour of the podcast for uh, five people who are listening to this podcast. Um, if you uh, reach out to me on Twitter at Brian Moran on Twitter, tell me you heard this podcast and tell me what your favorite wine is or tell me a good wine story. You can tell me on Twitter. You can email me at Brian at smallbusinessedge.com. And I will select five random people to receive a copy of Monica's book, Wine One, Two, Three. Um, so five people who do that, um, I will reward you. 
uh, as my way of saying thank you to our listeners and certainly thank you, Monica, to you for taking the time today to talk to us about wine. I know I'm just that much more knowledgeable about wine and I really appreciate it and the business of wine. So I want to wish you all the best in your business. I know we'll keep in touch, but um, I think you're doing fantastic work. I I hope it continues, and I hope that you are one of many women who break through that wall of uh, male-dominated industry. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been great being here. Love your show. All right. Hey, real quick, how if people wanted to get in touch with you, like social media, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? It's at Monica Elling on Twitter. And that's M-O-N-I-K-A-E-L-L-I-N-G. So Monica Elling on Twitter. Reach out to her, tell you heard her on the Small Business Ed podcast, and you want to know more about wine. Thanks, Monica. Thanks, Brian. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bones. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.